Welcome to The Backdrop, untold stories in golf. I'm your host and co-founder of New Club, Matt Considine. Today, we start the first of a new series, what we're calling our member roundtables, in which we're going to take a topic and we're going to throw it out there on the roundtable and we're going to yuck it up amongst some of New Club's finest. In our first roundtable, the subject is one that won't surprise anyone. It's where it all began, the old side, the home of golf. We're talking Scotland and we're talking Lynx Golf. It's a three-part series because, come on, how can it not? And at the end of episode three, we're actually going to have a very exciting announcement that we're going to share with all members of New Club. Lovers of the game are really going to get into it, I think. And uh, so don't forget to tune in for that one. But before we get to three, we got to start with one. And on our first episode in this three-part series, we're going to focus on an area 30 minutes outside of Edinburgh, south of the Firth of Forth, where 36 different golf clubs and courses sprawl across the central lowlands of Scotland. We're talking East Lothian. My special guests taking the adventure with us today are none other than new club members extraordinaire. We got everyone's favorite poet, publisher, and part-time host of this very show, Jim Sitar. We got the professor himself, math education at the University of Georgia professor, Kevin Moore, chief ambassador, Kevin Moore, and architect aficionado, perpetual student of the game, Dan McCollum. Today's episode of The Backdrop would not be possible without our friends from Journeyman Distillery. Very fitting that they're sponsoring today's show as Bill Welter got the same inspiration that I did uh, spending his time in Scotland. And he learned his craft from some of the greatest distillers in the world uh, and producers of fine Scotch whiskeys that everyone knows. Journeyman Distillery today in Three Oaks, Michigan offers an extensive portfolio of handcrafted artisan spirits that have a true sense of place. They utilize all locally sourced Midwest organic grains and use unfiltered water from an underground aquifer. While whiskey is Bill's passion and pastime, all their products have a special place in his heart. Experimentation, variety, and quality are what motivates most. Stop by, say hello, check them out. Don't forget to roll a few putts in their 30,000 square foot putting green and visit their full line of spirits over at journeymandistillery.com. Now, without further ado... On to the show. Kevin Moore, Jim Sitar, Dan McCollum, welcome to the backdrop. Great to be here, Matt. First, hey, how's it going? Good to see you guys. First ever roundtable in the history of New Club, the backdrop podcast. Um, I hope you're as honored as I am to be here with you because the topic is, is you couldn't cover this with just two of us, just one guy asking questions, the other one answering. We're, we're diving into Scotland, the home of golf and specifically for this episode, North Barrick. Uh, I'm going to steal from copy with pride from the professor here, Kevin Moore. And I'm going to ask each of you gentlemen to give me one word that describes East Lothian. Not not any of the specific courses in in uh, that we played in North Berwick or Gullen or Kilspindy or uh, Muirfield. I just want all of East Lothian. Give me one word. Let's start with who's going first. Jim. I'd go with uh, soul. I was gonna go with classic. Home. 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 I will go with creative. 
Mm. Yeah. I like that. So it's, let's start with, uh, who wants to, who wants to go first? Kind of just your impressions of East Lothian, um, and what it meant. Uh, I'll go first. I, I, I picked Seoul because, um, <clears throat> well, it was, it was first up for us, the first region that we were in, in, in Scotland. So I didn't have anything to really compare it to, but what I had heard is that it's, uh, you know, it's, it's the area where, you know, people are, are going out and playing golf, um, you know, regularly after work or whenever they get a chance, uh, bringing their dogs, uh, making golf a, a much more um, integrated part of their lives. Um, I didn't see a ton of like golf tourism going on, though there was certainly uh, some of that. But it felt in East Lothian like we were really among Scots people, and that felt great. Um, it was awesome, uh, you know, to to play with Scots um, people and and to and to go into the bars and restaurants and and to feel um, like we weren't like tourists, but being kind of um, welcomed. Um, and, and that we shared this common, common bond, you know, also felt just more soulful that way. Like it was, it was, um, kind of less, less touristy, if you will, at, in, at some of the courses. Kevin, your word was home. My word was home. Yeah. Like, I think there's place, places you travel in the world. Sometimes you feel like a sense of place when you get there as if like, something seems familiar and you feel just instantly comfortable with it. And like, this is a place, you know, I could, I could be, I could just, I feel like I've already been here and I feel comfortable and I could live here. Um, like I always think San Diego, probably of all places in America, I've traveled like San Diego and Savannah have both been that for me. Like the first time I went to them, just feel completely comfortable with them. Like, Hey, like I could live here and I want to live here. And I feel that way every time I return to them and East Lothian and Edinburgh itself always extending over the East Lothian and through the cities, Gullen, um, Dunbar, North Berwick all feel that way to me. Like I get there and I instantly feel completely at ease. Don't feel like going to probably built on Jim's point a good bit. Didn't feel like a tourist at all. You know, felt like I already, for lack of a better way to say it, like own the place in the sense of like could just walk around, be myself. Um, and really felt that from the moment Jim and I got off the train in North Berwick, like, I don't, Jim, did you ever feel uncomfortable? Uh, not once in that portion of the trip did I ever feel out of place or wondering what I should do. It was sort of like, well, what do we want to do? Let's go do that. Yeah, it was just very laid back and very welcoming. Dan, uh, you went with Classic? Yeah, I mean, I knew a lot about North Berwick and uh, Muirfield, the two courses in the area that I played before going in just because of the history there. But you get there and both places were, um, you know, unassuming. They didn't, they didn't, um, there was no arrogance about them. And especially at Muirfield, I think I expected more arrogance and, you know, walking on eggshells and people were very welcoming and just happy to have you there. Um, and as you guys said, like, felt very comfortable, whether it was in the town, at the bars, at the pubs, at the courses, wherever we were. Um, yeah, it was classical. <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, I I tossed creative because it was just on my mind of what it elicited out of me in my golf game. Uh, mm. So so the course is I was on the same uh, schedule that Dan was coming in early before the rest of the new club group met up, and and we played those two. You guys played even more courses, but just like I don't know when I was talking to people and and the caddies and and just like 
well, what shot do you want to hit? Like, like, and, and that even happened at Muirfield. Muirfield was a bit more proper golf, but that actually surprised me that I had to be more creative than, than I was anticipating around a place like that. That's, you know, open Rota and just championship golf. I, I kind of thought um, I would have more stock shots perhaps, but it was just, it was just creative and North Barrick, especially like, yeah. Holy crap. I, if I played it a hundred times, I could hit, thousands of different shots i mean it's just wild how creative i had to be so that's that's the word that that stuck with me let's go with uh some of the other courses we already mentioned the the two heavy hitters that we played in east lothian but kevin jim you guys came in early um tell us a little bit about why don't you guys take it away and kind of run through the ones that you you wanted to hit where do we want to start jim we'll start with uh what like we already covered no oh we hit up the Brunsfield Links pitch and putt right in the middle of town. That's the first thing Jim and I did. So we landed, you know, red eye all the way through, got our luggage, you know, jumped on a jumped on a tram, dropped off the luggage somewhere in downtown Edinburgh and walked over to the pitch and putt. And that was, I don't know, kind of set the tone for the trip. Don't you think, Jim? Yeah, it did, um, especially uh, walking through uh, Newtown, um, you know, Edinburgh and Old Town Edinburgh, watching uh, Kevin carrying around a, uh, a pitching wedge um just <laughs> walking down the streets everyone going to work uh everyone out at lunch and uh kevin just pointing things out by by you know, pointing his uh vokey wedge are you saying, are you saying <laughs> in people, various directions but i heard all these tales of the scotsman you know walking as their cane with golf clubs is that not true jim is that not what happens at scotland i think i was the only one and i almost took out like seven different people pointing that stuff <laughs> I think we'll all have to go back in a couple of years to see if, you know, Kevin started a trend. Yeah, I'm sure he caught on. <laughs> no, but it was so cool. Like, so we walked through and obviously Jim and I being professors wanted to check out the university. So we walked on the fringe of that. But when you get on the other side, so if you're walking from the Waverly, when you get on the other side of the school, you walk out in this huge park and it's huge, two sections. And what's so cool in the one section of it, there's just some areas of grass mowed to about fairway length with pins no higher than what a foot and a half, two feet. I think they have like 23 or 24 holes, but it's just a pitch and putt and you're in the middle of a park. So it's truly a park with some little holes cut out. And so we're hitting little pitch shots around it and bladed a couple. And all of a sudden you're like, I'm gonna kill someone because you got people walking their dogs, having picnics. Um, so I really just like brought to the forefront right away, this like sense of community and how golf is truly a fabric of, of the community over there. That, and that, that was like the first thing we got to do. That reminds me of this point that I, I knew we'd get to at some point. It's like reverence is a big deal for our club, right? We talk about reverence for golf and its history and its traditions and and its courses. And and I kind of, even myself, I fell in this kind of trap, if you will, of like reverence also means we have to put things on a pedestal and we have to protect it and we got to put it behind sealed glass and you can't breathe on it funny or don't don't use it too much. And we do that with our Augustas and our Pine Valleys and everything like your comments about the Brunsfield. Yes, it is in a park. Yes, it is in a field. But like other than Muirfield, can you think of a place that wasn't treated that way that like their reverence, they have so much reverence for their golf courses, but they also there's none of that pedestal stuff. It's just use it, play it, you know, throw a pin in it and hit shots in the field. Do you guys like, did you feel that as well? Yeah, I, I definitely did. And I, you know, it just, it wasn't precious, you know, your golf isn't mm, precious there. It's just part of the everyday fabric. It's, it's normal. It's natural. 
um, you know, they don't make it into a big deal either. Um, and that was really nice to see as well. You know, it's, it's more important, you know, who you play with than, than, um, than where you're playing. People really want to share their courses with others. It's just a different way of thinking about it. Yeah. It's not to keep it back here, you know, tucked away for, for me. And it becomes more special. The less people that play it, it's like, no, the more people that play it know how lucky I am or know how great this place is. And they want to share that with people. Yeah. It's like a different form of pride, right? Like pride typically here is enacted in a way where it's like raised, like it gets popular, right? Pride yields popularity, raised dues, exclusivity, yada, yada, yada. Where there, like the sense of pride is to me, it like evokes a, an attitude of like, well, it's worthless if you don't share it, right? Something becomes worthless if you don't actually share it with other people. So I, it's like everybody we played with thought their course was the best course there, right? Like I think that was across the board. If they remember the club, our club's better, right? World Door Knock's better. Killspindy's the best. Dunbar's the best. Like that's how they all felt about it. And they had every right to feel that way because of just what, what they carried. This idea, go back to reverence as a, a great way to frame that. Uh, one of the places that you guys played early that I piqued my interest is Dunbar. I didn't know much about it prior. What can you tell us about uh, Dunbar Golf Club? Yeah. Um, so think about that. Yeah, Jim, you did not play Dunbar, right? Um, man, it was it was cool. I didn't really know what to expect. And it was great. It was like a member, um, Andrew, um, reached out to me on Twitter after I said, you know, we're coming to play Dunbar or whatever, or you saw it on the course list. He's like, hey, let's have a let's have a match, you know, or have a game. Let's have a game. We actually didn't play a match. He wanted to just, you know, have a casual, casual game with each other. So him and another member took me and Patrick McSpadden out. And like that's when actually in my little word game, I said home is like the word for that course. I saved something else for North Berwick. Um, because like you got there and you're like, wow, just like these people are just living their life, right? Like golf is just part of their life. They come there, like. This isn't like me walking through the gates of an exclusive club. This is just like, no, this is part of my everyday activity. This is what I do. I come here, we hang out, you know, have our coffee before the round and then just go on a leisurely stroll across the course. And you just happen to be playing golf while you're doing that. And so it was this really cool, just very much felt like a low country walk in the United States in terms of like a lot of real flat areas right on the coast, real tight together, like two holes playing back and forth. Um, get to this cool plateau on the back to add some flavor and variety to it. And you kind of come back on that flat land. So you really just felt like a casually stroll around, you know, around your home is what it felt like the whole time there. And then the company was great. Like, I don't think we ever shut up all 18 holes, just talking about, you name it. Um, everything from politics to family to whatever was the topic du jour. That's a good thought on just culturally like what would you feel about um sharing thoughts with with scots we we ran into a ton of scots i know on this portion of the trip uh almost especially because we were a smaller group i think one one uh there were so many pros to having a big group for the rest of the trip in 24 but i think one con is it's a little bit harder for 24 to all be together and still you know you can't sit down at a table with two other locals right <laughs> there's 24 it doesn't work that that smooth like Give me, give me some, some thoughts on your guys, what, what you kind of viewed of just Scottish culture and, and East Lothian culture and what the people were like there. Well, for me, uh, you know, I had been to Ireland before. 
uh, and a little bit in Scotland. I mean, like, you know, two and a half days um, when I was 25 years old, not playing golf. But, you know, the, the way that it was kind of described to me, and these are uh, very wide generalizations, is that almost everyone in Ireland is a comedian and almost everyone in Scotland is a philosopher. Um, and you know, Scotland has a, a really long history of, of, um, highly influential philosophers, but, you know, for the other, you know, millions of, of, uh, you know, of people there, I think culturally, you know, they're a bit more serious. Um, w- we were talking about how, you know, when, when you're talking to, um, you know, uh, locals in, in Scotland, you know, exactly how they feel about something, you know, uh, they know, mm-hmm. know that you are, they aren't really, um, you know, just kind of having a laugh with you um they're they're being you know pretty serious um you know can certainly have a lot of fun and 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 have laughs uh but it's a different kind of mentality somehow um again this is a a broad generalization but you know i'd say that people were were very welcome to sharing their opinions to hearing our opinions and it and it and it just it just kind of stayed there i mean you know everyone is entitled to feel certain ways about golf and other things. And none of it was taken, you know, too personally. And, you know, every, everyone can, can disagree and remain friends there. I mean, Dan, the first person you met in Scotland, right off of the cab ride from the airport. I mean, he, he seemed, you might've found the one comedian. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, do, if we need to get into the store, we can get into it. Um, <laughs> But no, I mean, I think it's a perfect uh, explanation of kind of how the locals are, where there's always a little bit of a joke, but friendliness and seriousness kind of all at the same time. Um, so we had a very, um, you know, it was the cobblestone. Back to it. I, I can let you off the hook right now, but I'm definitely coming back to it. On uh, It's just the, the jagged roads of Edinburgh were not your friend. They weren't. Uh, it was on very little sleep. And, um, you know, we, we were in a, a bus and... Um, it was not a nice ride and we get, we finally get there. I wasn't feeling well the whole way. The last 10 minutes was not good. Uh, Chris was talking to me and I'm like, Chris, you know, just gotta, <laughs> I, I just need a minute here. And as I get out, you know, didn't feel great. Got a little sick. Um, lo and behold, uh, the person whose house we were right in front of happened to be standing on the patio. And so, you know, I look up and he's right there and he's looking at me dead serious He's like, what are you going to do about it? And I was like, oh, and like, I'm like, oh, no, like this guy is like really upset. Um, and he's he's laughing. So he asked for 20 quid jokingly um, and, you know, I ended up. I, Chris was nice enough to clean it up after the fact. And um, we were we were uh, we were good to go. But I, the guy apparently when they went back afterwards, Matt, you might have been in that group. Um, the guy was super nice and, um, it's just kind of their way of making people a little bit uncomfortable, a little bit, making a joke, a little serious. And I, I, I joke, I brought the story cause I had to bring it up, but also you're right. It is a good representation of the Scottish people. And that guy, like, and first off, Chris Wong, I mean, if anyone ever wants to know about the integrity of the people inside a new club, I will probably go to this story in the first three. I mean, Chris the reason Dan was so sick was because Chris put in the wrong address and added about 40 minutes to their trip. And he's driving around the crooked streets and the cobblestones of Edinburgh. And they're supposed to be in North Berwick. Dan's just looking to get to the first tee, but now he's sick. And, uh, and Chris goes back. So, so, you know, he's, he, he spewed in his bushes <laughs> right in downtown North Berwick. And, uh, Chris went back and cleaned it up. And the guy, 
you said, are you cleaning that up for your buddy? Or it wasn't you that was sick. He's like, yeah, I mean, I, I Hey, I, I was in the car with him and we don't want to leave your yard looking like this. And and he was like kind of blown away, even for a Scotsman. He just thought that was the coolest thing. So we got to give Chris a shout out for doing that. He he had gloves and bags and everything. It wasn't as gross as people might think, but um, it, it is a good representation. The people of Scotland, like direct, abrupt, a little bit awkward, but um, but compassionate. There's like a there's a vulnerability to them, right? Like. I was thinking about the nature of conversations and I've been trying to be really intentional. This is something actually I learned from new club and you, Matt, like this idea of like a typical conversation on a U.S. course starts out like, what's your job or like, what are you doing? Right. And it, it, a lot of times it can be a very transactional conversation or a very guarded conversation. Right. Where I didn't get any of that sense. And any of the times I was playing with members or even at the pub, like the conversations were very serious, but they were completely vulnerable too. like opinions could be, the spouse as much as you wanted. Also getting into the stuff about your family, about emotion, about the uh, one of the um, conversations we had was about the difference between like cooperation and business decisions versus dominance, right? Like we even had deep conversations about that and the pluses and minuses of them. Um, There's just a level to the conversations that occurred that uh, like I wasn't super familiar with, you know, in terms of everyday golf experiences in the United States. And that's not to disparage like our experience in the United States and I've played with wonderful people and we'll continue. But I think just in terms of the the culture that's there, it was just natural. It was just, there was no forcing it. It was just how it went. By the seventh hole, they might ask me what I did and we talk about it for two minutes and then we're moving on to whatever we want to talk about other than that. Direct and, and, letting, uh, and letting it fly, I, right? I mean, I'll also say, I mean, they were just so nice and so genuine too. I mean, everyone that uh, I met really in, in every town, um, I, I'll to tell this quick story about when we were at Kilspindy, which is in this area that we're talking about today. Uh, really um, nice walk, uh, a lot of holes on the water, kind of on this point. Um, pretty easy walk, uh, a lot of short par fours as well. Um, and of course, that I really fell in love with. And um, we met a lot of locals there, uh, including this couple that were playing in front of us. Um, so we were teeing off on the 17th tee. And they were up on the 18th tee and uh, <clears throat> the 18th tee is about 40 yards left of the 17th green, about 280 yards away from where we were teeing off. And uh, I thought for a second, maybe, that, you know, I should let them tee off first and start walking. Uh, but then I rem remembered that I didn't hit a sh hit one shot left for 16 holes. So I thought, <laughs> no, they're, they're safe. So what do I do? I, you know, I bomb a drive right at them. And it was right at him. Like, right at him. <laughs> me and Kevin and Patrick are just screaming for, you know, because like that's also what you have to do over there. Because depending on the wind direction, I mean, if you are upwind from people, they probably can't hear you even if you're screaming. So, yeah, I mean, you really have to try. And it's just going right for them and they're teeing off and it, this ball splits them. It goes right in between them. And I, I'm just, I'm, I, I just feel so bad. I shouldn't have done that. And then, so I, I, I catch up with them at the clubhouse, uh, you know, just 15 minutes later when we're done with our round and I, I apologize profusely. I'm like, I'm so sorry about that. And they were apologizing to me. They said, Oh, we, you know, we shouldn't have been standing there. And I was like, you guys are on the tee. You know, what are you talking about? You know, I offered to buy them a drink and they said, no, 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 let, let us buy you a drink. And, 
you know, all that sort of stuff. And uh, they were just, everyone was just so kind and, and, and so nice there. That's awesome. Let's uh, it's, it's hit on some of the other courses. We saw Gullen. So one, two, and three. Kevin, I think you played all of them. Jim, you might have played all of them? Uh, one and two. So give us, uh, give us your kind of rundown on, on Gullen. Worth a stop? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I thought that that was the real kind of heartbeat of, um, of, of East Lothian, you know, having so many courses there, it kind of had a, um, like if there was like a, if there was like a low key non resort version of Pinehurst, this is it. Right. You know, I mean, there's so many options to play, you know, three very different courses. Um, you're playing around Gullen Hill, which is massive. Um, I can attest for how uphill the second hole is on uh, course number two uh, and how it taught me that I am totally not in shape. Uh, but that was the other thing too. Like I was expecting um, all of these courses to be flat. Right. And, and you know, they're, they're supposed to be links courses. like just, just right off of the, uh, you know, the sea and, and very Sandy um, and Gullen was completely different than almost any other course we played on the entire trip. Uh, with with all the different land movement and um, just a variety of holes and and spectacular views. Yeah, no, I thought was really cool. Like one through three was it was almost like you know like a color spectrum that just fades from one color to the other, like it's seamless and continuous. That's sort of how one and one to three felt. Like one was definitely truly the championship course. You could tell it was. Manicured a little bit better, a little bit tougher of a test, a little bit more right there in front of you in terms of what you need to do with a little bit of cork here and there when it got up on some of the topography aspects. Um, and then two became sort of a little bit more cork and two is fitted right between one and um, one and three. A little bit more cork, but also you get on this little piece of property, the flattish part where you're like, okay, this is like what we call championship golf, right? More akin to a Murfield than a North Berwick. Um, and then you get over to three and it's like, okay, a few championship styles, but now a lot of cork to it. Like I thought that probably the four best greens on the property were all on uh, number three, like number six green of the entire trip sticks to me as one of the best greens that we saw the whole time. Um, even the yardage, you know, the, I don't know what the exact yardage is, but it probably goes from like 7,000 to 66 to like 58 or whatever goal in three is too. Uh, so like in terms of a place having, I think this came up earlier in the spring, like places that have two or more golf courses that are really, really good that aren't resorts, that aren't a Kaiser property or a Pinehurst, right? But like, say a club, like name a club that has two or more courses that are both like really, 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 really good. And one's not just an afterthought for overflow or whatever. Like Gullen's the one that stands out to me. Like, I mean, you could take number three, like, yeah, some people might squawk about the yardage or whatever, but... Uh, other than that like amazing golf course two amazing golf course one amazing golf course it was really a cool you could sit there and just play those three over and over and over and be happy the rest of your life that's interesting because uh north barrack i know we asked some locals about their second golf course uh, and so a lot of folks like, eh, i want to just stick over here on on the west links and enjoy yourself and that it doesn't uh necessarily live up to the way that you describe going yeah, the, the uh, well, the other one in North Berg, isn't the Wee Links? Yeah, is it, is it East? Isn't that right? Well, there's the Glen, the East Links, but that par three course looked awesome. Yeah. 
Yeah, wait, it, where was the part yeah. three course? How did, oh no, okay, up a little bit more. It was up near like 16. Yeah. Yeah, and they, they said they used that for kids for the most part, but until the pandemic, when their membership was around more often and uh, they were they started just like anybody was going out there and, and making tea times for the part three course, which looked pretty rad. Yeah, and I guess Josh was saying now it's back to kids only. So like you have to like you can obviously ask for permission and they might let you go play, especially if you're a visitor and you know they they want you to experience it. But he's saying like he has to be invited by a kid to go play. So I, I intentionally was trying to transition ourselves back to North Barrett because I, I think that's where we <laughs> want to s- spend a lot of the conversation here. I mean, it was a, a sp- I, mean, I know it was a special place to all of us on the call. Um, Dan, I, I'm going to start with you, man, because I know you're a architecture buff probably i think we all enjoy it but you know you, you're, you're into the rating game and you you love template holes give me your favorite template you you saw and did it did it kind of live up to your hype because i know you did a lot of research on north barrack was there a template where you're like okay i'm gonna see so and so out on north barrack this is where these beautiful golf holes come from the strategy originated here uh for a few of them which one which one was like wow for you yeah, I mean, the templates were awesome, but frankly, I thought the holes before, so templates being Redan and um, Beeritz for the most part, um, I probably could argue if it's a true Beeritz, but I thought the holes before that were what really got me. Um, the pit, I think, is 13. Uh, I think we're on that green. I turned to the caddy and I was like, I think this hole's actually underrated. Um, I'd heard so much about it, and there's just, it It was so, like, that green site sitting down really below, you understand why it's called the pit, was was awesome and the little the wee flick over the over the wall was just yeah. a, a fun shot and then the whole after that uh perfection i think it's called the 14 maybe um maybe i have the numbers wrong but mm-hmm. um that second you know the the decision what we had the downwind the prevailing wind off the tee uh i think i rip driver um may or may not have been the play because i had a good shot and i think i had the hardest shot into the green from where i ended up Matt, I think you weighed back if I remember. No, and you, my caddy, ro- your caddy or someone's caddy robbed me of the experience of the pit hitting <laughs> over the wall because he sent me on a line like at the coast and I actually somehow miraculously hit it and I carried the wall. And and my caddy was like, dude, this is just stupid. Like we don't even get to hit over the wall now. It's a good <laughs> angle. I think I still made par, so it didn't make a difference. But um, yeah. What I, a- I was talking about the ne- the next one. Oh, the, I'm sorry. Uh, that hole where it's like the blind shot, the, where the green's down on the water, and you get up over that hill, and it's a beautiful reveal. Um, but that I hit a drive up. right yes, next to the green and had I couldn't stop the ball anywhere near the hole. And the people who had the whole wedge shot in had the better play. Awesome golf hole. Yeah, yeah, that one was a bit of a mind twister for sure. You could play it a hundred different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, that was my experience at, at North Barrick. I. Um, it was one of the courses I was most looking forward to on the entire trip. Um, and I was really glad that we had the opportunity to, to play it a couple times. And then I added two more. So I, I played it a total of four times and it played completely differently every time. I mean, with wind, with rain or no rain with sun. Uh, I mean, some holes, uh, I hit driver wedge, that same hole come around again. I hit, driver four iron four iron wedge i mean it was completely different i was able you know on that hole with the um you know on on the pit hole i 
I hit it four completely different places. So I had different approach shots. Um, I think I made par once or twice, but um, <laughs> what was really a pleasure for the whole trip is to just be able to kind of study it, you know, from different, in different conditions and realizing that, you know, that course and, and many of the courses that we played play so differently uh, from day to day, you know, that that's something I, I really enjoyed on, on this trip. I don't know how many courses back here at home, you know, um, can play that differently uh, day in and day out. And uh, I just got a real kick out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was what, like the eighth hole at Berwick. That's the part five, I think, running out on the, out to the edge of the property. I think the one day, hit, the first day we played, it hit driver seven iron. And then the third day we played, it, I think it was driver three wood. Both of them flushed as good as I could. I mean, bullets, nothing flared, like under the wind, solid rollout, and still had 60 yards left. Like that one, just amazing the difference I played. You know, effectively played as like a mid iron par four. And then playing as a true three shotter where all the cross bunkers now came into play uh, and everything. That was just so cool to see. Cause yeah, like you said, Jim, especially with the conditions of the course and the way they play, like you don't get to see that uh, a lot here because we don't get the wind conditions. And also the turf isn't set to play, you know, in the different wind conditions. Some of the most fir- firm turf on all of our entire trip, you know, almost 20 courses in, in total. And we, uh, I, it was, that was rock hard. And it's funny because we caught it during their soft season. <laughs> like this is like they're like, oh, it's still a little bit soft season right now. It's like this is if this is soft, then gosh, it's it's yeah. It's, I, go ahead. I, I I was just gonna say, you know, I I think on the entire trip, you know, twenty two rounds or something, I think I made like four ball marks that I could identify <laughs> on these greens, and like I didn't have to replace really any of those four even. I mean, it was so. It was so firm, but I mean, you could still hold the greens. Um, I don't know, just a completely different kind of condition. Mm-hmm. I was going to jump back to uh, the people of North Berwick, but specifically around North Berwick Golf Club. Uh, Kevin, you guys, you you and Jim were hosted by some members, and I think it was Josh was was he the American gentleman that's been living there? Yeah, and then Timothy Gallant too. Um, yeah. yeah, it was our first host, and Josh hosted us another couple of days. And it's what I, I liked uh, sitting down and, and, you know, you're with an American who's lived in uh, Edinburgh for a long time and he's just such a local, but you don't hear the accent and it kind of throws you for a loop. Like your, your wires cross a little bit. <laughs> you're like, wait, you have the Scottish golf perspective, but you sound like you're from, you know, Arizona. Um, what, what's his, like, give, give us a little bit about his, what, what he had to offer you guys as, as a host of, of North Bear. Oh man, Jim, you want to go first? Sure. I think you can well, try out philosophical stuff and everything. <laughs> I just, I mean, the conversation was great. You know, we 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 had more of a you know Scottish conversation than an American one. You know, we're talking about work so much. Um, I think with both Timothy um, and Josh, they were able to kind of they knew how we were experiencing it and and seeing it for the first time because they had on the same and they they come from the same kind of golf um that that we're accustomed to and so i i thought that that was kind of helpful as well and you know i back to what dan was saying about how you know members really like to share their courses over there i think they get a kick out of um hosting americans and just seeing their jaws drop you know from from the first green you know to the 18th and 
just, uh, you know, being able to kind of, uh, you know, show us around, give us a little bit of tips, but also just kind of let us find our own way, I thought was nice as well. It wasn't all strategy all the time. You know, I mean, if there was a, you know, a burn somewhere, they would tell us about it. Um, but, but other than that, you know, a, a lot of the golf in Scotland, I, I was just glad to, to kind of not know a lot of things and just kind of hit it and, and hope and, and then just hit it again. I took, I took caddies for majority of our trip. I, I probably 50% of the courses. I, I kind of wanted to have an experience of, of both best I could. Um, but I took one at North Berwick and I was really happy I did because it was, a a younger guy, I would say he's in his early thirties and he just landed kind of his quote unquote first real job. And he's an accountant working for an accounting firm in Edinburgh, but, uh, they're still working from home and, and he gets his loops in and mm-hmm. he's been a member there his whole life. And I just, I asked him why do this? Why, you know, you're getting a full paycheck now and a salary guy for a CPA. And he goes, cause I love being here. And it's part of, I don't know if he used the word duty, but he, it felt like that's what it was. He was trying to express to me. It's like, cause that's what I'm supposed to do, man. I grew up here. I know this, this land, you know, that's what one thing to your point, Jim, about like strategy and, and letting you find your way. He was great. Cause he's like, Hey man, I've played here 10,000 rounds. Maybe I know this land really well. I know the wind, what it's going to do to it, but I don't know you, I don't know your game. Like you know, you, you got to d- discover that for yourself, but, but I know this land. So they say things so authoritatively when it comes to the land, you know, with yeah. the, the, the putt breaks this way because of this, you know, thing. And I just, uh, I think that's so cool. I mean, could you imagine a CPA, a young CPA at any, you know, working downtown Chicago and then jumping over to the club to, to loop for some visitors in the afternoon? It just would never happen. Yeah, man, it's surreal. Duty is such a good word for that. Like duty, there's like an energy and pride to like their club, right? And what they see and how they look at sharing it. And even their, like I was thinking about just their relationship with the game and like the experiences we had with our specific hosts where, again, it kind of set the tone for the trip where like they were fully engaged in playing golf and hitting golf shots. But then after the shot, they switched it off immediately in the sense of, no complaining, no head down, no moping. It really didn't matter what the shot did. It was like, okay, back to conversation, right? Like, and get around whatever we want to talk about, but just carrying pride that they were with us the whole time, that they were there to share the day with us, not just to host us like, oh, I'm thinking of like, I'll keep the website nameless about where you can sign up and go play other clubs and like share hosting, right? Where that's so much like, so transactional or like the host I've had, yeah, we've had good times, but it's like, I'm here to host you. Let's get through these 18 holes and let's move on. Right. Like great. It was great. Me and you let's exchange numbers. Fantastic. We're like, there it was like, no, they were truly there to share the day with us to actually share it as if we we're all true foursome rather than a host with three guests. And I thought that was just, again, it goes back to the comfort. Like we always felt comfortable when we were there never felt like we were actual guests. So true. I remember after that, our round there, Josh, there's a group of us sitting down, having a beer, waiting for some of the other groups to come in. And Josh sat down and met him briefly. And, you know, we were all gushing about the course. Right. And, you know, all of a sudden it's like, I don't need to tell you how good your course is. Do you know that? And he's just like, yeah, I know how great this course is, but I still love sitting here watching you guys talk about how great this course is. And it was just like, yeah, it was that was like, oh, OK. It was like a kind of a, a light bulb moment. 
Dan, that's I, I'm going to ask on uh, the way the game. Uh, this is like kind of a multi-question, but about how your game adjusts while you were there, and and uh, I think of the three of, of four of us, you're probably the highest ball hitter, and we got a windy day at North Berwick. Did your ball flight come down over the time over there, or did you just keep taking more club and send it? What was your approach? Yeah, so we were dead into a heavy wind. And like even our caddies were saying that day was like a no, have, windier than normal day. So the first, you know, first hole, um, I, you know, ballooned the second shot way up in the air. Uh, second hole was playing like a par five, basically. Third hole, I think the same thing. Those holes were playing 450 to 500, somewhere like that. And the, I think the fourth hole's the par three, and my caddy's like, you know, I forget what the number was, but let's say he was saying it was like 140 playing 165, and I go to my eight iron, I'm like, nope, nope, that's not it, and then I'm like seven iron, nope, and then like I choked out on a six iron, which is like 185 club, and take this little half swing, keep it down, hit it flush, hit it like left side of the green, and that was like a aha moment for me, where it was like, oh, okay. That's how I got to hit the shot because there's no other way. I remember exactly that shot. That was so cool. And I think it comes back to that kind of attitude, right? Where golf reflects life. And a lot of what we said about how the conversation with the Scots was just different than the way to do it. I feel like we impose so much control on our golf game here. We want to know that our eight iron goes 165. And if I hit my eight iron, well, it's going 165 there. There's, there's really none of that. They don't give a hoot if you carry your club, whatever yardage, because they don't know what your condition you're playing in. They don't know what the wind's doing. They don't know what the turf is like. And that that was an aha for me of just like they they don't view it as a perfect answer. And I feel like we in, in the states, for the most part, in our improvement, we're just trying to get the perfect answer all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot more creativity and and. Um, you know, just so many different ways to, you know, to play different shots over there. You know, I was having a hard time into the wind and uh, our host, Josh, you know, told me, he said, yeah, it, it took me about eight months to get comfortable, you know, playing into a wind like this, you know, just really hard to, you know, to keep it low. But once you realize, like, if you're, if you're tense about it, you know, you're, you're, you're making it worse. I know not to swing hard in the wind, but also to just be, you know, less 10. So then, yeah, if you're 160, I mean, you can hit a little six iron and just kind of dribble it up there. And, and, uh, that's going to be so much better than trying to muscle a six iron. I mean, it was, it it was great to see. And I, I think there was like, you know, some kind of lesson in there, you know, not, not to wax too philosophical, but like, you know, sometimes if you're, you know, facing some kind of obstacle, you know, off the golf course, you know, if you really try to strangle it and, and beat it, you know, by brute force, let's say, you know, and kind of force the solution. A lot of times it's not going to work. It's, you know, and instead just kind of embracing it and just kind of working around it and and going with the flow a little bit more ends up, you know, getting you through, through the wind. Um, you know, when you have to face the caddies pretty quickly, um, my caddy at North Barrick was awesome. And, you know, it was more of, all right, we're 160, but, what kind of shot are you thinking? How are you, how are you thinking about playing this shot as opposed to um, caddies at other places that weren't as good are just kind of used to it's 160, the winds into us, it's playing 185. Well, like, you don't know if I'm going to rip uh, something high up in the air that's going to go 150 or hit this low little punch shot. 
Um, and that was also a kind of eye-opening thing. Mm-hmm. Kevin, you were on a streak over there. I mean, you, I think I felt like I know you arrived early, but I felt like you must have been sneaking off to Scotland for the last seven years <laughs> to work on your Lynx golf game. Like, what was your in the sixties streak? Bye. Five in a row, I think. Five in a row in the '60s under all types 76. of conditions, all yeah. types of wind, different different courses too. So, what what was kind of your secret? Because you found a little groove over there. I mean, I definitely got in a swing groove that windy, same windy day at North Berwick, where like I kind of played within myself and that. But I don't know. I just love that style of golf. Like I'm a strategy guy at heart, and it's to the point it's frustrating in American golf because it is point and shoot. Like, yes, there's strategy to it, but it is. The number of variables that are there are very small, like, right, like where you move into anything on windy links-ish golf where the turf's firm, anywhere where the turf is firm and the wind is up, like what Dan, Dan was hitting at, like shot shape matters, right? Cut it or draw it, like trajectory matters, where it lands, everything matters, and you have 20 options playing into a green, how aggressively do you play, like all these things matter so much more where there's not a perfect equation to it. Um, and then for me, like what I really love about it, even more than the strategy side is adversity is actually a real thing, right? Like bouncing back against a wind gust or a bad bounce or whatever occurs. Cause there's a much, it's, there's so much more randomness to an outcome when that ball gets up in the air on a links course, it's like, where's this thing going to go end up, you know, going to end up where most United States courses, once it's in the air for about, you know, two seconds, you're like, oh, I know where this is going to be, right. It's going to be contained and. You might have a question if it's going to be a plug lie or a bad lie, but you know, especially in your home course, like this is where this ball is going to be before it's even halfway there. And there, like even the guy, you know, Josh, who's played however many rounds at North Berwick, there's some shots he hits like, well, let's go see where this one ends up. And so like, then you have to bounce back mentally, right? Like you get up there, there's a bad break or you thought you hit a good shot. I mean, I don't know how many shots I hit through, thought I hit pretty good and they roll off the back of the green and down into a bad spot or whatever. So I just love that like challenge of like just bouncing back, forgetting about what happened and just hitting the next shot. The next shot's all that matters. And I just, I, I, I love that so much. And I wish we had more of that, which the, and again, that's not a, that's a turf thing primarily, right? Turf and wind, like they have that benefit and that lets the game be that way. We got, you also say, you know, as, as someone who might be, you know, the worst golfer of, of the four of us, um, I learned that the wind can really separate, um, you know, the, the, the truly good shots, the truly, uh, good golfers from those who just, uh, happen to kind of fake it sometimes. I mean, watching Kevin just bore it through the wind on, on so many, so many of these courses, uh, and then me just, you know, stepping up next on the tee, trying to do the same thing and mine just sailing you know, 40 yards, right. You so know, yeah, a Healy cut, a Healy cut doesn't uh, survive in the, the breeze. I mean, even, even a shot that might be straight in the United States uh, here, yeah. if it's just, if it's 3% imperfect or whatever, I mean, it is sailing, you know, into a wind. Right. And so that taught me a lot about, you know, uh, how much, you know, normal conditions can kind of cover up, you know, the, the, um, you know, the, you know, the mistakes I can make the, uh, and we got about 15 to 20 more minutes. So I want to, uh, touch on Muirfield, obviously. Um, and, and a little more on, on North Berwick, the town, because I, th- I feel like there, there's some points there we haven't hit on fully yet. 
but let's go to Muirfield and I'll do it by, by taking to my caddy. The best caddy I had on the entire trip was at Muirfield. I probably shouldn't have been surprised. Like they've taken a lot of pride in their caddies is what I heard. This guy was unbelievable. Like if I ever got on tour, which I think that ship has sailed, but if I had the opportunity, <laughs> I, this guy, I'd be calling him up. He was a, a, a school teacher and and uh had his, his numbers and his his bunch of notes on his on his card but uh i knew he was the real deal went on god i think it was three or f- uh uh was it two two three four is the part three right and then the whole after the part three oh. or five and i i i hit a shot and i th- everyone was up looking further for it and and he, he i could see kind of made the diagonal into the stuff sooner and this is to back up your point jim he goes yeah it just sounded like a bit of a toe shot to me so i knew it wouldn't have carried up there based on your first couple tee shots i was like man dude like these guys i mean it's just so much more of an in-depth like appreciation for good good shots good golf they they listen to it he he listens to it to hear okay that is a solid struck shot it'll bore through the wind that was a toe shot it won't what was what was your guys um Muirfield? So that was my, my my caddy to get us there. But what I mean, Muirfield is unique, right? And people, I think I'll start with this uh question. Like everybody that's going there knows that of all these courses that we're gonna talk about, you can go play any of them, pretty much all of them. Mm-hmm. Muirfield's the only one that's not that guarantee or not that, you know, call the pro shop, make your reservation yada yada it's uh it's a bit of a chore just like most private golf is in the u.s so how did that uh live up to kind of that norm here that we experience if you want to play high-end good private golf in the states and how how did it differ let's let's go with that maybe dan do you want to you want to start yeah i i'm i'm touched on earlier i thought I was expecting it to feel like i've never been a chicago golfer shinnecock but like walking on eggshells right um, they know their history. They know how great the course is. They know all that. It's hard to get on it. You, you know, all that stuff, but you go there and from the second we get off the cart, first of all, the, the taxi can't go onto the property. So they, they drop you off like on the road, at least for us, like yeah. down the street. And then a golf cart brings you out of the property, which is like, okay, sounds good. And then as soon as we got off, we were welcomed by, you know, a staff of two or three people. Welcome to Muirfield. Here's what your day is going to be like. You do this, you do this, you do this. You know, we're really happy to have you here. And it definitely like calmed me down. Um, And then you go in, you go to the locker room or whatever. And it just like the whole day I felt comfortable there and I was not expecting that. So I, I thought that was like where expectations were different from reality for me. Jim, Kevin, you guys. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think one thing that was a, of benefit to us, we're, we're on a visitor day and, you know, I'm not sure if there were members um, around that day or if it was simply all guests. But I, I mean, I was grateful, honestly, to not to, to be there when there weren't a lot of members, because I think there could have been more of that kind of eggshell experience. But instead, you know, I, <laughs> I was I was I was sitting uh with good posture, I'll tell you that, and 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 making sure I didn't I didn't do anything wrong. But um, I think it would have been different if we were in a complete room full of Muirfield members, you know, wondering, you know, who that who the heck are these two or three guys? Um, but the the whole experience, you know, people were telling me well before the trip 
um, that it's one of the best experiences in golf and one of the most unique ones. You play 36 holes, you know, you, you play um, best ball in the morning and then you uh, go in, shower, put on a, a shirt and tie and a jacket. Uh, you have this lavish lunch. Uh, you might have a couple beverages and then you get back into your golfing clothes and you go out there and you play alternate shot. You know, it's one of these traditions in golf that's been going on for hundreds of years. Uh, and so that was an amazing experience. Um, and, 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 and I think experience is the word that I, that I think of the most with Muirfield. You know, I, I, um, I didn't think it was my favorite course per se. You know, I really appreciated how the holes change direction almost, almost every single hole, which is very rare in scotland you get a lot more out and back but um, the whole experience from from the caddies to, to the people checking you in um everyone was so kind and and like dan said you know i was expecting a little bit more pretentiousness but um you know that might be as pretentious as scotland gets and it it, it wasn't yeah. that much yeah like i think i used the word curated poor like what I, so that's a really good question matt like how's it different from the american experience because in a lot of ways murfield is a american club like their model is similar to american club in terms of being very exclusive right they've had their own issues in terms of gender issues um that they've been working on recently like there's a lot of similarities there when i think about like a major difference relative to your question like they're curated an experience for us as guests right that's a guest day like and they are intentional with having guest days so why whereas getting guest tea time is still difficult a lot of they book up quickly they take so many so it's it's not like you just call a clubhouse and get out whenever you want, but they're doing that intentionally to still share their place, right? And they're not just sharing a golf course. I'm thinking of like the, some of the very exclusive clubs I've played in the States where it's like, I have a host and it's just really sharing the golf course, right? Oh, get out, come see this golf course. And like, okay, maybe we go look at the clubhouse, maybe not, maybe have lunch, like do that. Where it's like, no, they want to share, they wanted to share the whole day with you. Like, Hey, and this is how Murfield does it, right? Like you're going to get a member's experience, but as a guest, right? But you're not going to know you're a guest. You're going to pretty much get the experience of like, hey, play best, you know, play four balls in the morning, have the good lunch, let's go play all shot. Like look at our history, look at, you know, the rule books, like take all this in and really truly experience something versus like, you know, the different versions we get over here, like, oh, hey, Pebble Beach, we want your $750 and you're going to have a six and a half hour round or Pinehurst is as great as it is. No, this is a resort, like, and you're in a resort environment, right? Even the Kaiser properties, yeah, they're golf, but they're golf vacations, right? So you get a vacation feel to it. Where Murfield's like, no, you're going to get a club experience and you're going to get it full bore all the way from the way you play to what you eat, to the history you get to look at and how you get to go through it, which I thought, I thought that's something like for American clubs that wanted to like move a little bit in that direction, like that would be an easy fix. Hey, our tea, even for four hours on a Tuesday, we're going to give tea times and we're going to help people experience like, what is our club about? What's our ethos of our club? And we're going to give them that. My, my word uh for the entirety of the trip is was gratitude and that I, I felt there was so much gratitude of, of the scottish people for us for golf for life and, and i just i felt like i that, that's what st stuck with me and i felt very great gracious to be there when i wasn't expecting i was kind of hoping to hate it to be honest with you because i just like yeah. you know my my sensibilities are not about the exclusion of of folks and um 
And, and most of the time, I think we build up in our mind that the exclusive experience is always the better one. And uh, I found that to not be true in, in, in golf and in life. So uh, I, I was really hoping to not <laughs> love it. And, and when I, when Dan, I was in the cab with Dan and when they told us we couldn't pull our cabbie or our busted cab that we had to call because Uber doesn't work in the city of North Berwick for some reason, I don't know why. Um, when they told us we had to get out and, and schlep our clubs down the, the driveway, you know, I was like, oh man, this place, they're already hitting with this. And then it instantly changed yeah. and everyone was so gracious for us to be there and so happy to share it. And to your point, Kevin, I, I, I heard some rumors that um, I don't, none of this is confirmed, but that it's one of those clubs where a very wealthy membership that they split the bill at the end of the year. And you hear about that and you know, you have to have some tremendous wealth to be able to do that uh, to say to a club that maybe does that, maybe don't, I don't know. And they open two days a week for visitors, yeah. two out of seven. Could you imagine going to the folks that, because there's plenty of clubs here in the U.S. that I know do that policy, and it's a lot of CEOs and billionaires of uh, that that uh, it's theirs. I'm not. I pay the money because I, I split the bill at the end of the year, so I don't have to do this. And that they do that two days a week, and that they do it so well, and they care so much about the experience. I was like, uh, I was eating my own whatever you call whatever that saying is. I, I I knew I was wrong. I, I had to admit to myself that all these years of, of thinking it was something that it totally wasn't. And um, just kudos to them, man. It was it was cool. Even the tie was cool. I, I thought I yeah. thought that was going to be weird and awkward, but when when you put on the tie. Uh, it's just, it's a level of respect and respect for tradition. And, and you don't need to say anything, but well, this is what we've done here. And this yeah. is what our members do at this club. And so if you're going to be with us today, it's what we want you to do. And uh, I appreciated the militant nature of the guy that was seating us and telling us, okay, you go sit down and have your drink. Now, now you can have your first course. Uh, Mark Caldwell gets yelled at because he was jumping yeah. courses. And I, I, I appreciated that because we were their guests. I was in their yeah. home. It's not performative, right? I think a lot of clubs, the dress codes and the behavior codes are very performative. They're things you should do because we need to look good to other people, right? Like it's it's really an outward expression of how we should look and how we should behave without any question of like, well, why are we doing this? At Murfield, it's like, it just fit with the ethos, right? We were sitting where the like some of the original rules were written, right? Like we're sitting with the original silver club. Well, like, so it feels right, like, okay, like, yeah, we could say like if we were establishing a club, would we do those roles? Maybe probably not, but whatever, right? Like, but like there it fits. It just goes with the reverence they have for like that is a historic club. And you walk in there and you're like, this is an eight, this is 1895 right now. Like that's what we're looking at. So to me, it completely fit. And I would have felt out of place not doing that. Typically, I feel out of place when I have the tie on, but there I'm like, no, this like it just goes with everything we're doing. And it didn't feel artificial. It didn't, it wasn't for pictures or other other potential members coming in and then looking at it it was like like you said this is just what you do i i do have an unanswered question from the whole lunch arrangement because uh kevin you you mentioned they've let women into the club but there was women as guests there that day i don't know if you guys saw them out in the course and and uh they weren't dining with us though i didn't know if there was and, and which might make sense because we're I, I i don't know if they have a separate dining or I, i'd like to get that answered if anyone knows you know, no. maybe chat us about it, but they, they definitely uh, were there. I know that maybe they ate in the women's locker room or something, but um, Dan, we got to talk about the golf course a little bit on Mirrorfield because 
I mean, wow. When you said the word classic, I thought you were specifically thinking of, of Muirfield. Yeah. Um, partially for sure. I mean, I, I, I like the golf course, right? Um, I thought there's golf courses on the trip that I liked a lot more, and that would be more excited to go back to that. I think about more even like day to day as I still think about courses cause I'm a psycho. Um, but you know, when you walk, when you kind of walk through the course, they're all really good holes and everyone's kind of asking you a little test and it makes perfect sense that it's a championship style course that hosts, you know, however many open championships they've had. Um, one of the cool like nuances that I love that I saw, it, it took me to like, I think the back nine to figure it out on the first round when we were playing our own ball is the little cutouts through the rough for the alt shot mm-hmm. where, you know, people are, cause I think our, my caddy said that they all, the members always play all shot for the most part, like maybe a few days a year, they don't, but there's these cutouts in the rough in the, in the long rough that where you go from the green to like the middle of the fairway, the next hole that make no sense for a normal golfer, especially for Americans looking at it. And then you play alternate shot and you use every single one of them. And it's like, Oh, that's, that's cool. Yeah. We, what we burned through the first nine holes an hour and five minutes, I think Jim, our group, and we weren't even like sprinting or trying we weren't trying to play quick at all that was just like normal pace and yeah exactly with those cutouts there you just it was so cool to slingshot so much it is true true slingshot and you see the yeah. path that takes you there it, well, man it was yeah it, and then, it's exhilarating really cool to play that format and it leads you to that 11, 11 12 13 stretch uh what's that the 11 12 13 stretch i thought was the the peak of the golf course Mm-hmm. Were you crazy? That T shot on that T shot on eleven. Downwind, I could just hit that all day. How about the uh story on Tiger? At least my cat was sharing this story on Tiger. The wind was so strong in that direction that uh there was there was a uh you crested up. What hole is that? It's eleven, right, Dan? Eleven, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a um gosh, it's uh just a hillside in the middle of the fairway that you gotta hit over and I mean we cleared it by two hundred yards and uh, we were one tee up, of course, but uh, I went back and looked at the YouTube video. There was Tiger's worst round, 82. I think it was his worst major round, perhaps, 82 at Muirfield. And he he destroy, you know rips a stinger driver, and he doesn't get to the top of that hill. It went like 210 yards, hits the top of the hill, comes back. I mean, that's just it's just evidence of how different the conditions get. The the randomness, as you said, Kevin. The the um, variables are so wide over there it's crazy and you about drove that green (laughs) thank you you, dan for shouting that out uh the other what i had something else about the actual golf at muirfield oh you 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 said the questions that asked ask good questions you know each hole but i i actually think so the pros that play on the rota always it seems to be one of everyone's favorites right from a professional golf standpoint and kevin you would know this from the pros that you work with through golf blueprint they like predictable answer or they'd like to know the simple question that they're being asked because they can answer it they're really good they're really good golfers but they need to know what their question is being asked i felt like Muirfield. i knew even though you know it was my first time around i felt like it was very strategic very links golf but it, it, it it's something about the t that i stood on i kind of knew what the architect was asking me i knew what the question was and and, and sometimes i couldn't you know achieve it because it's a hard golf course, but did you guys feel that too? Like the, the questions weren't that uh, complex. 
Yeah, I would not to, you know, jump ahead to the other pods, but like I would compare it directly or contrast it directly with the old course. Right. Like I think like some of the other courses we played, especially some of the more modern ones, like even modern courses in the United States, like the the questions are pretty apparent once you play the whole like core crenshaw, you know, they'll go down as arguably the best architects to ever live. Um, by the end of things, they'll be in that Rushmore category, right? And debated with maybe six or so other ones. But like when you play the courses, the questions are apparent. Like you look at a tee shot, okay, here's the shot value. If I play it along the bunker line, I get this angle into the green. Um, and Murfield, I think, was you know similar to that as what you're getting at there. Where like I look at the old course, and it's one of those like I didn't create a word for it because I'm like I don't have those like I don't fully know all the questions being answered by the old course right I think that's why a lot of people walk away with it with like a man you know I'm not quite sure what the make of it and I, that's probably more of a strength than a weakness um so, but yeah more like a math question where there's a right and wrong answer versus like a oh a short response essay question where there's not a right or wrong answer. like at the old course there's no right answer on how to play these yeah. Games, right? Yeah. Um, which to me is more fun. Um, I was a math person, which so it's weird that that's how it goes. But um, this felt like more like a math equation, right? And then you can solve it, and then you know what the right answer is for the most part. Yeah, I think you probably be the math guy. You could contrast it with actually problem solving in math, right? Like doing applied mathematics problems where it's actually true problem solving rather than just using an equation. That it's like okay, there's choices to be made here, assumptions to make, and like you can go different down different paths to actually solve it. Um, yeah, did not like. Yeah, I think that analogy, you know, that that Mirfield is math kind of makes sense because uh, that can explain why I played so poorly there. But uh, <laughs> the poet, the poet couldn't figure it out. <laughs> you know, I, I thrive on creativity. You know, give me North Barrick where you know you can hit it seventeen different ways, and um, not that I'm going to, um, you know, hit it the way that I uh, planned. You know, but uh, there can be you know some other you know, um, possible solutions to it too. Mm -hmm. That was a, a, uh, I think pretty thorough rundown on some of these courses, guys. Um, in North Berwick as a, as a town, as a people, I, I was blown away from the start. So I, I, uh, take a lot of pride in my packing abilities and I, I fit a good amount into a small space and I typically don't forget things, but here I am in uh the home of golf i have a tea time at muirfield and i don't have a jacket so i had to right when we showed up i had to go just walk the streets and and you know i got on my iphone googled suit store well it's like 8 a.m nothing opens up until 11 a.m if it's retail you know you're lucky if a coffee shop is open at 8 a.m in, in north Berwick or anywhere in scotland i think and uh and so i'm just walking and and i see this um what appears to be a thrift store, but there they call them charity stores. And I go in and I say, Hey, I, I, uh, I forgot to pack a jacket. I'm looking for a jacket. And she goes, Oh, you got tea time at Muirfield. Do you? <laughs> she knew right away. You know, she knew right away. And, uh, she was so nice. And, you know, the, the part of the story, I think I'm trying to get to is they, she was so knowledgeable about golf and she said she doesn't, she doesn't play but she knew the game inside and out. I mean, we were having the same conversation we're having now. I was having with this lady in a charity store. Um, so their knowledge of golf is the one thing I'm trying to get across. And then number two, and this is probably back to Jim's comments on generosity. They didn't have anything that fit my scrawny ass. So she, 
she said, uh, well, here, I'll walk you to the, the other charities in town. There, we have four. She literally walked me to the next one. She's the only shopkeeper there at this place, right? Leaves the door, doesn't lock anything up, walks me to the next one. I go in there. They have like two. She goes, these aren't very good. Takes me to the third store and introduced me to that, that shopkeeper. And she's like, I should go. I'm like, yeah, you should. <laughs> the only one. I just couldn't believe it. That was like my first, you know, dance puking in bushes, but I'm looking for a sports coat. And uh, I just was blown away by the generosity and their knowledge of golf. That's, that's like my two things with North Berwick that I, I told yeah. What about the, from the town for your guys' perspective? Cause we spent a good, you know, amount of nights and in, in time walking around there. What, what did you guys feel about North Berwick? I mean, the charm of the place, you know, just being able to hop on a train from Edinburgh and, and take it to the end of the line, you know, 35 minutes later, uh, you're in the town, uh, you know, just a little bit of walk and you're on the, you know, the high street, right? Like the main street. Uh, yeah, I mean, everyone was super friendly. I think I ran into, you know, the same person at the charity shop, you know, that you did. And she and I talked a lot about, you know, um, how she, um, you know, gave Ian Poulter a, a lucky shoulder massage um, midway through the Ryder Cup at Medina. And, and that's when he, you know, won his match and everything. And, you know, she didn't play either. And yeah, I, I, I mean, the people were great. You know, the food was awesome. You know, uh, we were talking as a group about how, you know, we should come back here for a summer, you know, we, we should spend a month or two, um, you know, find some way to, you know, to rent out a place, uh, you know, maybe, maybe get a, uh, you know, a new club, uh, Airbnb going and, uh, you know, find some way to do that because it, that would be, that would be my choice of a, you know, a, a place to stay, uh, for this trip, at least East, East Lothian. I fell in love with it. You know, I mean, uh, other towns, Gullen was great. Um, Aberlady was great. Um, shout out to Malcolm Duck at, at Ducks Inn who, who hosted us for a lunch. I mean, what a great bar and restaurant uh, there. And um, there's so many different options to, to play and stay. And, and all of these places that we talked about, I mean, they're, they're all within 20 minutes of each other. Yeah. It was mind blowing. Yeah, I think I think- a shout out the Herringbone where we had dinner after North Barrick. So there's, I think, six of us walking home. You know, we had had a pint or two at North Berwick. Obviously, we had a great day, amazing weather, amazing golf course, just great group of people, obviously. And we're walking, trying to figure out where we're going to eat. And it's getting late. We don't know where we're going to get into. And the herringbone we had all heard about or read about that was like decent place. So we we look through and it, it looks packed. We're not going to get in. We have a big group. We all have our golf stuff. And I'm just like, I'm going to run in there and check to see if we can get in. And sure enough, they had a table there. And when they realized we had our golf clubs, they're like, oh yeah, just put them underneath the bar. Like, it's fine. Just like bring them in, put them under the bar, set us right down right away. And it was just like very homey. Like Kevin, you used the word home and it just, they didn't care. They wanted us to come in. They had one table open. It was perfect. Food was good too. That that word keeps coming up, but the, the home thing, and, and you're right about, oh, we got our golf bags. We kind of, you know, look a little disheveled playing in, 35 mile per hour gusts. And there's people in there. That's a really nice herringbone. It's a great restaurant. People having, you know, nice dinners with their families and they're dressed up. I think the thing that shook me is that not only did they say, yeah, bring your clubs in, throw them under the bar. You guys are good. Nobody looked at us funny. Nobody, like if I walk in, if I'm walking down the street in Chicago with my golf clubs, people are like, what's that guy? What's wrong with that guy? <laughs> yeah. He must have issues, you know? And there it's just golf is part of life. 
and it's it's not put you know again back to my pedestal idea it's not put on a pedestal it's just like oh you guys played well, how was your round yeah. that's from golfers and non-golfers how was your game you guys have fun great it's just so different and not to harp on the people but like chris asked our waitress for names or numbers of uh taxi drivers right so we could all get to Muirfield the next day and she comes back with a list of like five different taxi drivers <laughs> it was like okay thank you very much but just you know people there go above and beyond to to help and it's nice yeah we got driven home um by a uh, a bartender at the ducks Inn because we didn't know we couldn't get uh you know an uber or a taxi after i mean it was probably 10 30 at night we weren't necessarily out that late but uh the bartender said oh you know where, where you headed and and we said north Barrick, and she said oh i can i can give you a ride so i mean we you know we definitely paid her for for her for her kindness but uh that was just the kind of nature of of the people the um two, two other fun facts on north Barrick i didn't know one the microclimate i don't know if you guys got any knowledge spewed at you from locals on why they live there because Apparently, it's in a little bit of a microclimate, and the in the the uh, rain it rains like statistically throughout East Lothian. There's different ratios or whatever, but statistically, it rains way less in East Lothian. That was that, that one thing I was told. Uh, the other was um, let's see, microclimate and oh, the prices in North Berwick are skyrocketing. Maybe, maybe they're connected, but yeah. I heard it's a very expensive town to now live in, which it wasn't always, but a lot of, because of the pandemic and the easy commute and the train from Edinburgh, you just, you have a lot more people that are living there. Yeah, we need, we should actually rewind this and delete most of it and just dog on it as much as possible and then wait <laughs> for the economic downturn and then we'll we can spring on a place right we should you're, just tell everyone nah you don't want to go anywhere near that place you're vastly outnumbering the, the amount of listeners that we have for this <laughs> one but that's okay uh gentlemen anything else e east lothian some closing thoughts um Jim, I loved your your point about, you know, if I was planning a golf trip and I had to hunker down someplace, I am hard pressed to to think of anywhere better than East Lothian. Yeah, I really thought the same thing. I mean, I just kind of fell in love with it. Um, you know, and and its proximity, you know, proximity to, to Edinburgh, I think was, you know, a really key factor too. I mean, we were off the plane, Kevin and I, and um, you know, we could have been on a golf course in in an hour and a half. And um, and, and, and not think anything of it, you know, and I mean, just being able to, to have that accessibility. I mean, I, I loved way up North. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing other new club members talk about their experiences, um, up at Royal Dornick and, and Brora and, and Tain. Um, but you know, East Lothian, you know, it's, a, it's a little warmer, um, and it's just easier to get to and, and, uh, and you have a great time with a, a ton of different great courses to choose from. Dan, closing thoughts on East Lothian? Yeah, I mean, I can't wait to go back and see these other courses. Um, it, it's It seems like an easy trip, right? All those courses are close together. It's all close to the airport. You don't need a car. You probably could easily get a car, but um, I mean, we didn't have a car and didn't have any issues getting where we needed to go um, and just only scratch the surface for the course that I saw. So definitely looking forward to getting there. Kevin? Professor. Oh man, what to say and not be redundant with everything else said. And um, I guess two things. Like one, I think it's a, I think it's a great example, right? So how many? I mean, 
top 100 golf courses there's what probably five or six right along that run right there um that you could say but yet what golf is there i think is like at least united states we should look at that and think like and really reflect on what they've established there and the way they the way they embrace golf the reverence that's there like we should learn something from that all right like again i think it's something like a, a theme of the trip is like okay wherever they're consuming golf but like i think it's i I think it's important for anybody that goes and plays there to try to bring back a little bit of what they're doing back to the United States, right? Because we'd be in a much better place with golf if we looked at how they have these wonderful golf courses that have clubs associated with them, right? And have members, but yet still still have this culture of sharing around them and relationships. Um, that would be my second point. Like, I mean, just the relationships that that exist over there between the towns and the courses and the people that come in where you just you don't even really feel like a visitor, right? You feel like, you feel like you're, that's why I use the word home. You feel like you're at home. Um, and that's just, I don't know, it's going to stick with me for a long time. Like right now I'm still wondering what to do with it, but it's definitely like perturbed me. And, um, I hope it, you know, is very transformational for me and what, you know, what I try to do around golf here. I mean, I, I'll, close of my thought on on uh <clears throat> east lothian was that it is more doable it, it proved to me that that way of golf is doable in the u.s because of its proximity to a city i think so much of of this links golf culture that we've seen permeate in the u.s is destination based right whether it be a kaiser resort or pinehurst or whatever it, it's, it's, it's oh you can only have visitors if it's a vacation town if it's people going on a on a, a vacation this was edinburgh you know no east lothian isn't edinburgh but it's right there and it's a train right away that whole coast what 35 total courses every one of them with a bustling membership of 800,000 members 1500 in some cases i mean these we're talking numbers and the population of edinburgh being what six seven hundred thousand and greater edinburgh maybe a million I, i'm not sure if it even gets there but all of them are golfers too. And the, the numbers just, it showed me that this is, is so doable and, and we're really, we don't have an excuse. And so, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm optimistic is what I'll say is, is seeing uh, East Lothian. Cause I had made multiple trips to Scotland younger and never East Lothian. So it really was eye opening to me in that way. And uh, I was grateful to share it with the three of you gentlemen and to share it tonight was pretty cool too. So thanks, Kevin, Jim, Dan, thanks for coming on. And uh, I enjoyed it. Yeah, of course. Thanks for giving an opportunity to experience it. You, yeah, you, real pleasure. You set the bar extremely high for the rest of these yahoos. When we get to, <laughs> you know, I feel like once we get uh, Josh Burley, it's only going to talk about the water shortage and Kent Moses. <laughs> We'll we'll talk about his pace of play and uh, <laughs> and let's see. Chris Wong is going to talk about the pub index. That's that's right. Thank you, gentlemen. You I'll take care. Today's episode of the Bag Drop was brought to you by our partners, True Temper Golf Blueprint, and this July's official partner of the Summer Medal in Northern Michigan, Journeyman Distillery. Journeyman Distillery has been distilling artisan spirits for over a decade in their historic Featherbone factory located in the one-stop-light town of Three Oaks, Michigan. Grain to bottle and certified organic, kosher, and gluten-free, award-winning whiskeys. Check out their full line of spirits over at Journeyman Distillery on all social and journeymandistillery.com.